Christmas is about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Um, that is what it is about. That is the bottom line of it. Uh, much of our world does not get that. They think it's about presents, family, all these things. And those things can be good, but it is about Jesus coming into this world, the Word made flesh. And so what we're going to do in this time is we're going to think about this. The Word made flesh, what does this mean uh, for this, uh, this one that came down, this one that came into our world? And so we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. I encourage you to take a look at that scripture. And we just finished a series on Philippians. Just kind of an add-on to it. There's a different message that we did back in October 9, the humility and the example of Christ, where we went through this more thoroughly. Uh, we looked at what this means in context and how Paul was using this, telling the Philippians to have this example, this mindset of Jesus, of humility and putting other people first. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this passage again, especially with Christmas and the incarnation in our mind, and we're going to think about how does this work? What is being communicated to us? And we're going to look at three basic things. We're going to say who, how, and why. Who was it that came down? And how did this happen? How did God bring this about and why? What was the purpose of this? And I think if we look at this passage, we can see uh, each of these things answered. We'll be looking at other scriptures as well, too, and trying to really understand and grapple with this as much as we can in the short time that we have. So let's read this together, Philippians chapter 2, and we're starting with verse 5 here. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as we look at this together, I think we see right in the beginning of this, a answer to the question, the first that we're asking ourselves is, who was this that became a man? Who is it that became a, a human being that we're celebrating this Christmas? And it says, again, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. That's who we're talking about. But then what about Christ Jesus? Who was he? Was he a, a guy that lived 2,000 years ago? He was a good human teacher and that's all he was? No, the verse goes on and says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And when we look at that passage and we look at the, the Greek words that are used there, it doesn't mean that he was just in the appearance of God or he was like God, but he actually really was authentically God. And that this is uh, who Jesus was even before his birth, even before his conception when he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. And so one truth that we have to realize is that before his conception, so even nine months before his birth, before his conception, even before that time, Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, eternally existed as God. He existed eternally forever as God. And as God, because God does not have a beginning, that the Son of God never had a beginning. There was never a time, there was never when he was not he has always existed. 
And we know this from other places in Scripture. In John 1, 1, it is written, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so we see here that this one that's called the Word, and when it talks about the Word here, this isn't talking about the Bible. This is talking about the Son of God. And we know this because a few verses later, John will write, and the Word became flesh. And that's what the incarnation is. Literally, the Word becoming flesh, uh, putting on humanity as well. So this Word that is talking about, this is the Son of God, the, the, the pre-existent, eternally existent Son of God. And he was with God the Father, and he also was God. He was uh, deity. He was divine, a member of the Trinity. Another place where we can see this uh, is in John 17, verse 5. Something that Jesus prays uh, before he goes to the cross. And think about this. Think about what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That is not something that a normal person can say. To glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is saying before the world, before time began, the Son of God existed. He existed eternally with God, with the same glory that God the Father had. Because there was equality with the Son of God, with God the Father. And so when we think about Christmas, we think about the incarnation of Christ, we have to think of this with the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. And that it is, if we say, who was it that became a man? The answer is the second person of the Trinity. The Son is the one that became a human being, the one that became a man. Now, we can be specific on this, that it was not the Father that became a human being. It was not the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Trinity is our belief from Scripture that there is one God. There's only one God. And so he has one God, one being, one nature. But he exists in three persons, that there is the person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. But these are not three gods. They are one God. This is a mind-blowing thing. There is nothing else that is exactly like the Trinity where we can say, well, it's, it's like this other Trinity over here. Uh, every example that we could have is going to be flawed in some respect. But this is what the Bible teaches. One God, but three persons. The persons are distinct from each other. Not, not separate from each other, but they're distinct. But they're all just one God. And so the one that is called the Son, the second person of the Trinity, is the one that became a human being. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That doesn't mean that he didn't believe that, it wasn't about him climbing up to God. It said he didn't believe that he had to hold on to his prerogatives of God. He didn't have to hold on to that glory. He was willing to, in a sense, come down and to, to be humbled and come and live this life on earth, remaining God, but we'll see living out of, out of humanity while he was on this earth. So I think one thing that we need to grasp from this before we move on is that when we think of Christmas and we think of who it was that came down and who it is that we're worshiping, this is not just little cute baby in a manger. Some people like to think of just little baby Jesus because a little baby doesn't get in your business. A little baby doesn't tell you what to do. I want a sense if you're a mom or dad, it tells you what to do. Uh, but, you know, if you just think of Jesus in that sense, um, you know, he's, uh, okay, you know, Mary and Joseph, uh, but 
we can think of just him as a, this sentimental, cute little baby. But we have to recognize that the one that came down is God. And therefore, if he's God, he deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration, our, our praise. He deserves our allegiance, our obedience, and all of these things. And to not worship him is wrong. <clears throat> to not adore him in our heart is, is wrong. To not obey him, that's wrong. These things, are, these things are sinful. It is right and good to worship and adore and to obey him. And that's what is right, and that's the only thing that is going to ultimately give you ultimate joy because this is what you're created for. So this one we're talking about is God. A way that we could think about this, and I've shown you this before, we'll re- if you, but some of you haven't seen this, to think about this, what Jesus did coming down, that Jesus, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, this is what we call his pre-incarnate glory. Before he became a human being, existing forever, uh, along with, with God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit, and uh, eternally before time began. But then he came down and said he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And this is what we call uh, the humiliation, that he humbled himself. Now, it's also, when he became a human being, what we call the incarnation, which literally means that he took on flesh. Think of carne as like uh, meat. He took on flesh. He took on a human body. But there's a slight difference between what we call the humiliation and the incarnation. And the difference is this. The incarnation is actually permanent. Jesus never gives up becoming a human being. He stays the God-man permanently. He is the God-man now. He will return as the God-man and be that forevermore, and that's a good thing because you need a God-man to be your eternal high priest before God the Father. Uh, whereas the humiliation, this is a temporary thing that he did. And so it says, verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now in this, this parabola that we have pictured, there's another side to it, and that'll be next week. We'll focus on the, the exaltation of Christ. If you're able to, I hope you're able to, to come back for that so we can think about that once again. But today, talking about Christ coming into this world and humbling himself. So who was it that became a human? It was the Son of God. Second question, we look at verses 7 and 8, we can think about this. How did God become a man? How did he become a human? So he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And we see that doesn't mean just that he was, he was like a human, but he really wasn't. No, he was like a human being because he, he was, was a human being. He was like us as a human being, genuinely human. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. So a few things we want to say about this as we think about Christmas, the meaning of Christmas. And we think about how this works, and there's, a, there's mystery here. I'm not going to be able to say that we can explain everything about how this works. Uh, two natures in one person coming together, these are things that are beyond our mental capacity, beyond our pay grade. But there are things that are revealed to us in Scripture that we can think about so we can hopefully avoid some errors and understand what was going on. And the first thing I think we just need to point out 
is that the son was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. And so, so let me read to you the account here from the book of Matthew. And this is Matthew 1, starting with verse 18. So the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. So we see here in scripture that um, Mary was a virgin. They did not know each other as husband and wife in that sense uh, until after Jesus was born. And it was the Holy Spirit that, that caused this to happen. Now, there's some questions you might ask about this. Uh, one question that people sometimes wonder is, well, did, did Jesus have, let's say, Mary's DNA? How did, that, how did this work? And I think the answer to that has to be that, um, yeah, I think he did at least part of her DNA. Uh, not all of it. He wasn't a clone of Mary. If he had the exact DNA of Mary, he'd be a clone, and that obviously isn't the case, partly because Jesus was a guy and Mary uh, was not. Uh, so we know that he uh, couldn't have uh, all of her DNA. I think part of that's what it means that he, she is his biological mother. I think there was some family resemblance that you saw there. Uh, but then you ask, well, where did he get the rest of his DNA? I mean, the way that it works, for someone to be a, a male, you need a Y chromosome. I mean, it's actually, uh, despite what they say today, it is a genetic thing. It's uh, built into your genetics. And Mary would have had just two X chromosomes, and you need a Y chromosome. And so other DNA material, where did this come from? Well, I think the obvious uh, answer to this is it was a miracle of the Holy Spirit that he created this uh, when Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb. And yeah, normally virgins don't conceive and give birth, and uh, you need a male, but this is how it happened, and it was a miracle. And some people say, well, how can you believe in a virgin birth? I say, well, I also believe God created the whole world out of nothing. Okay, I believe God created uh, Adam from the dust of the ground and created Eve from his rib. And if God can do all those things, uh, this is pretty easy in comparison to that. So I've never really had an issue with this. If you believe the, the big thing, if you believe Genesis 1 1, uh, then this is not a big deal for God. And so God is involved, and Jesus Christ is born from her. So we talk about the incarnation, another thing that we need to know from this is that the son took on humanity without giving up divinity. 
And what this means is that the Son of God, the second person of the, of the Trinity, has always been God. He has always been fully divine, uh, equal with God the Father, equal with the Holy Spirit in, in power and glory and might and everything. And there was never a time where that started. But as far as his human existence, that began at a point in time. Actually, not at Christmas. It would have been nine months before when uh, Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And so now what you have is you have two natures in one person. Now, if we think about the doctrine of the Trinity, in the doctrine of the Trinity, it's one God in three persons. Okay, so you have one nature and one being with three persons, one of those persons uh, took on humanity, took on another nature to himself. And so the Son of God now is one person with two natures. And one of those is the nature of divinity, of being fully God, and the other is the nature of humanity being fully a human being. He had everything required to be fully divine plus everything that's required to be fully human. Now, again, there's so many things that are, are beyond our capacity to really figure out and to think through, uh, but I think maybe this is an illustration that may or may not be helpful. I hope it's helpful. But there was a time when you had to carry around a lot of other things in your pockets, okay? And so what I have here, this is a camera, okay? And yeah, Joel, I took this out of your room last night while you were sleeping, so, or Luke's. Okay, I'm kind of like a reverse Santa Claus. <laughs> I sneak in on Christmas morning and take things from kids. Uh, <laughs> so we have a camera here, and it can take pictures, and this is everything that's required to be a, to be a camera. And I also have here, uh, this, is, this is a phone, okay? The old flip phone. How many of you had a phone exactly like this one? All right, lots of you did. Yes, indeed, the old Motorola silver flip phone here. And so there was a time you would walk around and you would have a you know, maybe a smaller camera, but you have a camera, and you would have a phone. And these were two uh, separate, distinct devices. This has 100% of what is required to be considered a camera, 100% of what's required to be a phone. I bet there's not many of you right now that have both of these two distinct things that you're carrying around. Maybe someone, probably not most of you because probably what you have instead is something like this. You have what would be a camera phone, among other things. But in here, you have in one device everything that is required for it to be considered a camera and everything that is required for this to con be considered a phone in one unit. So in the same way, at least somewhat, no illustration is perfect, uh, Jesus is both fully God and fully human in one person. Everything that's required for him to be considered fully divine, because he is in one person, and everything that's required for him to be authentically and fully a human being, a genuine human being, also in one person. And that's why we can refer to Jesus as the God-man. And when we say that, we don't mean that he was... 50% God, 50% man. You know, the Greeks in their mythology, they would have demigods, and they would uh, 
you know, be born of Zeus and a human being, and they would be kind of a half-breed, half and half. That's not what we're saying. That the right way to think about it is that Jesus was and is 100% divine and 100% human at the same time. This doesn't add up to 200%, but what it means is he has everything that's required to be God, everything that's required to be a human in one being. In Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 18, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, this is talking about Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And it goes on in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Okay, not just in some respects. He was like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That Jesus Christ took upon himself our humanity. He added this to his person, fully and completely being a human being, living a life the way that we live a life. As we sang earlier this morning, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Another thing, as we're trying to think about this correctly, is we have to recognize that when he came down, in Philippians it says that he emptied himself. And some people have taken this the wrong way, that he gave up his, his deity, that he gave up some of his divine attributes. And I want to say that's an impossible thing. If you are God, you cannot give up the attributes of being God. You cannot uh, give up, that's, that's who you are, that's embedded, that's timeless, that's eternal. So Jesus did not give up any of the divine attributes, but his glory was veiled and he forsook the, at least the independent use of the divine attributes. When we say that, doesn't mean that uh, even before this there was ever a time where uh, he was independent as in the sense of detached, but we'll explain a little bit of what I, I'm trying to get across. Again, you can't give up the divine attributes. He can't give up holiness. He can't give up being eternally God. Once you're God, you're God and you're God forever. And all of these things that are your attributes, that's the essential qualities of being God and who he is, omnipotence, omniscience, all of these different things is his goodness. But I think a way to think about it is that his, his glory when he was in the humiliation was veiled, that it was covered. And so maybe a way we can think of this is um, <coughs> we're in a suit here because it's Christmas, so we've got to dress up, be nice. Uh, but it's, if I took this overcoat on and put this on over and buttoned all the way up, you know, then you can't see the suit coat. It's veiled, okay? It's covered. So 
in a sense, this is maybe a good way to think of it. Jesus didn't lose anything. I didn't take the, the jacket off if the jacket refers, represents divinity. Instead, I put this over the top of it. And so Jesus, Jesus is, is veiled in flesh. He is, uh, has his glory veiled. So when he was on earth during the time of the incarnation, you couldn't look at him and notice that he was God. Uh, even though there's artwork that shows, you know, sometimes you know, he's got this halo and he's glowing, uh, we know that really there was nothing in his physical appearance that you could see him and know that, oh, this is God. Look, he's, he's glowing. That's not how it worked. Uh, so his glory was, was veiled. It was, it was hidden. But it was still there. He was still God. He didn't remove any of his godhood when he put on humanity. So <laughs> that's maybe a way that we think about it. Um, of course, every illustration, again, has some faults, too. Uh, divinity or humanity isn't just something that you wear. It's something that he is. So that's a drawback of this illustration. Uh, but hopefully it's something that is kind of helpful as we try and think about this. So during the humiliation, during this time, Jesus, he didn't live out of his divine attributes. Okay, when he wanted to go somewhere, he walked there. He didn't fly, okay? He didn't, he didn't teleport. I mean, after uh, the, the cross and the resurrection, uh, then, okay, then it was different. The humiliation was over, and you see him doing some things that are a little more uh, living out of his divine attributes. Uh, but for the most part, you know, he lived like a normal human being did. And so we know that he can relate to us in this way. He knows what it's like to walk. He knows what it's like to get tired. He knows what it's like to get blisters. He knows what it's like to be hungry. Now, he didn't have like a supernatural just, you know, uh, you know, food that he was, you know, creating for himself so that he could, you know, munch and munch all the time whenever he wanted to. It wasn't like that. So Jesus, uh, when he lived on earth before the resurrection, he, for the most part, lived and acted out of the abilities of his human nature. Now, there are miracles that Jesus did, and we don't know exactly how this worked, uh, that it could be that he did those miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit, or maybe it was his power, but he would pray and ask God for special permission to act out of divinity during those times. Uh, but for the most time, he lived a normal human life like you and I live. Now, with some of the attributes that's easier to think about, I mean, that, okay, he could have omnipotence, be all-powerful, and just not use it. And one that I think is more difficult to think about is, what about omniscience? That God knows everything, but how did Jesus, uh, did he, when he was on earth, did he know everything or did he not? And there's actually a place in Matthew 24, 36, where he says that there's something he didn't know. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus talking about his return when he will come again says, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And so I think while Jesus was on earth during this time, I think it's different now, but when he was on earth, he didn't even know when exactly his final return would be. But then how can he be omniscient, all-knowing, if there's something he says he didn't know. Now, this is a tough thing to wrap our minds around. I want to give you another illustration that I think is helpful to think about this. 
And uh, I'm gonna pull up my phone here again. And you know, on my phone here, there's a lot of music. And I have one of those you know, music subscriptions, so I'm able to listen to, uh, I think it's uh, Amazon Music, uh, pretty much every song that's ever been published. Not, not exactly, but for our sake, let's say I have access to pretty much, I have access to every song that's out there because it's not on my phone, but it's in the cloud and I can access this. And so, okay, I've been listening to Christmas music, so I can... Uh, Okay, so we got that. I don't have this song. This is being pulled off the cloud. But let's say I go kind of offline here. Now when I go offline, I don't have access to the song anymore. I can't pull it up. Uh, it's still you know, there in the, the cloud, but I don't, I don't have access to it. But I do have access to songs that are, that are on my phone. So I can see, bring up here a different app. And uh, let's see here. <laughs> and I can still listen to that song offline because it's already on my phone. Here's the way I think it works. And again, this is mind-blowing. This is kind of mysterious. But Jesus, when he was on earth, I think he acted out of uh, his human nature. And so he didn't act out of all that he knew um, of the divine eternal mind, but his human mind that he had on earth. And like us, it's like what can be encoded on this uh, few pounds of, uh, you know, uh, brain matter that is inside of our skull. And I think he had to, for the most part, you know, learn it, you know, in the normal way, retain it. And he lived out of uh, that knowledge that he had. Now, there was times God gave him extra knowledge, gave him supernatural knowledge. But for the most part, he lived out of, you know, what could be contained, you know, in uh, his mind. And the same way that your phone doesn't have infinite memory, you know, our brain, uh, the way it is right now, can't contain all of God's knowledge. And so he lived out of this. So when Jesus was a baby in the cradle, I think in his humanity, he wasn't thinking about, you know, uh, keeping the, the planets spinning up in the sky. Now there's a sense where Jesus is also timelessly God and so in a weird way that's still happening but in his humanity he's not thinking of these things. He's thinking baby thoughts. And as he grew it says he learned wisdom and he, he, he learned in the normal way. So Jesus lived a uh, human life that was very much like our life going through this. But there's one way that is very different from our experience. People say well if Jesus was genuinely a human being then he must have been a sinner. Because one thing we know is that all human beings sin. And people even say, to, to be human is sin, to sin. To sin is human. So if Jesus was really a human being, he must have sinned. And this is where we have to look to scripture and say, no, this is an exception to at least the way that Jesus was like us. That Jesus was tempted to sin, but scripture is really clear that he never sinned. He did not come into this world with a sin nature uh, the way that we do. We come into this world uh, guilty of the sin of Adam and corrupted by the sin of Adam. And we also sin ourselves. Every one of us do. As scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need a savior because we are all drowning in sin. But we need someone that is not drowning in sin if the lifeguard that is coming out to rescue you also starts to drown, 
then you all die. You need someone that is not drowning. And so Jesus came into this world, and probably that's part of what the virgin birth was all about, keeping him unaffected by sin and by Adam's sin, that he would be the first of a new humanity. And Jesus never sinned. We know he was tempted. He was tempted by the devil. He was, I'm sure, tempted worse than anyone here because he had the devil himself working hard on him because the devil knew if he could get the Son of God to sin, that wrecks God's whole plan. There goes salvation and all of us go to hell because now there is no Savior because the lifeguard has drowned. The only one that could possibly save us from drowning has drowned. And so Satan was pouring on all the temptation that he possibly could, but Jesus resisted and remained true to God and never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 tells us very plainly, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Okay, we have one that is able to sympathize. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus never sinned. So again, if someone says, isn't it true that the saying, to sin is human, it's not exactly true. For us and for almost everyone it is, but Adam and Eve were human before they sinned. And there will come a day when believers are in eternity, in glory, are rid of their sin, and you will actually, you'll be human, in fact, more purely human than, uh, we'll have all the rust taken off of us, and we will be uh, authentically even more human than we are now. And Jesus was always sinless and perfectly human as well. So we think about this, some applications. First is that Jesus can sympathize with your weakness. He can sympathize with your temptation that you're going through. He knows how difficult that it is. He can sympathize with the normal hardships of life because he went through these things too. He suffered, that he was uh, alone at times. He was hungry. He was uh, forsaken by others. And we have a king that didn't just remain on the throne and just in his, his glory, but he came down among us and he knows what it is like. And also Jesus is an example of humility. And that's the point of Philippians chapter 2 is we're to have the same mindset of Christ that he came down and he was willing to live this type of life and so we too should be willing to put other people first the same way that he put us first and finally the last question we looked at who we've looked at how and just why why did God become a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. And we'll keep this real simple. Jesus came to die on the cross to save sinners. There's other things, but you can't get away from this one. This is why he came. This is the focus of why he came. His name is Jesus. <laughs> it said that he was named Jesus because he came, came to save. Paul, in another place, has this great, beautiful verse. And actually, the verse starts... 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. That's what Christmas is about. Why did he come into the world? To save good people 
to save those that are perfect. He came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So if you are here and you are a sinner, you recognize that you have fallen short. You recognize that you have rebelled against God, that you have ignored him, that you have disobeyed him, and that these are terrible things. I have good news for you. Jesus came for you. Jesus came into this world to save sinners like you, like me, like all of us. And we're not saved by following his example and being a good person because we've already blown it. We're drowning in our sin. But he came into this world to do what only he could do, to do what only the God-man could do. And that's why he needed to be the God-man. And that's why he is the only way to salvation. This is the only way it could work. Because the Savior needed to be human to die for humans. And so he needed to become a human being to die and to die for us. He couldn't be an angel. He couldn't be some other species. He had to be a human being to die for humanity. And for his death to be worth enough to save anyone and everyone that will turn to him for salvation. He had to be God. If he was a mere uh, regular human being, well, first of all, he'd have to be sinless for it to even work or else he's drowning in sin himself. But a normal human being could maybe substitute their life for maybe one other person. You can't save humanity. But because he is fully God, his death on the cross was of, of enough value to save an infinite amount of people. There's no limit to how many he could save because his death was worth that much. We needed the God-man. He came to earth, and he came to earth to die for sinners so that we could be saved. And this is Christmas. This is what the incarnation is about, celebrating Jesus Christ coming to earth, the one that was always fully God, that became also authentically a human being, and that he came to die for sinners. So if there's one thing for you to do this Christmas, it's to turn to Jesus Christ in faith. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone as your Savior, realize he came for you, and he's ready to receive you and to forgive you even just as you are. It's a free gift. It's the best gift you've ever been given. And all you have to do is receive it. Believe it and receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, the King, as your Savior. Let's pray and let's worship him. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the God-man. And Lord, may we adore him in our hearts. May we praise him. May we bend our knee to him and thank him with gratitude that he was willing to come and live the, the difficult life on this earth. And not only that, but even to death on a cross, bearing our sins to save us. He who knew no sin, taking our sins upon himself so that we might be saved. If there's anyone here that does not know Jesus, May you draw their heart to him and that they would walk out of here having trusted Jesus Christ and their sins lifted and forgiven, nailed to the cross. 
and let us praise you every day and live for our King. It is joy that you came into this world. Fill our hearts with joy in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.